Hi, how are you? Hope you're having a wonderful day, and I hope that your season is going well. Um, today we have another growers interview, and I'm actually here with Daniel at Petal Pickers in Greenville, outside of Greenville, South Carolina. What town are we actually in? We are in Piedmont, South Carolina. We are 12 miles from downtown. Okay. The, it's Greenville. It's basically Greenville. <laughs> um, and I've actually been able to come to Daniel's farm for a few years over the winter to visit, and... He's got a very amazing operation here. Uh, there's a lot that he should be proud of. Um, I don't know that that's something that, or a level of credit that Daniel gives himself. <laughs> I struggle with it a little bit. All the time. Yeah. But over the years, you've definitely found your groove and kind of made it your own. So We have a path forward. You. Uh... I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> and that is totally imposter syndrome. It makes no sense. <laughs> Which... Whatever. Do what you got to do, girl. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited. Today we've got three points, just like usual, um, that we're going to talk about. The first is kind of scaling up, because that's one thing that Daniel has done a, a tremendous job of doing um, over the past few years. And within that scaling up, we're going to talk about some of the, the challenges or you know decisions or things that he's had to do and all time into um, to kind of help uh, facilitate that as, as needed. Um, but we're then going to kind of transition into um, shipping because a large part of Daniel's business is based off of shipping perishable product. Um, but within that, I want to focus on some of the struggles. Um, I know that there's not a lot of uh, conversation around shipping uh, for small growers, um, but what I want to focus on even more is that this is not rosy posy all the time and everything is perfect 100% because that's a line of bullshit and that's not really how this all pans out. So I, I think that we'll have a lot of good discussion for that. And then we're going to round out our time um, talking about crop selection and why we choose to grow the things that we do to kind of lend a hand to or facilitate um, a, a smooth transition or transaction rather between um, or in, in regards to where that product is going. So, you know, if it's product that's destined to be shipped, we want to make sure that it's going to hold up for shipping. If it's product destined to florists, we want to make sure that it's a product that's in demand for florists um, and kind of how those um, choices and decisions are, are navigated and, and made. So, Daniel... How you feeling? Hey, I'm good. Okay. I'm ready to talk about this stuff. You feeling okay? I'm so excited to be on your podcast, Drew. I listen to it every week. Um, Thanks. It's so much fun. And it's cool just because I know you as friend, as a friend as well. And so, but I actually learn a lot from your podcast. And so I hope that other people can learn from us today. Yay. So exciting. Thank you. You're such a gem. Um, but I want you to kind of do, a, a, and you can take as long as you want with this, uh, an intro of kind of, you know, how you got into flowers. You can talk about whatever you want. You can talk about history, present. It's all up to you. Got it. All right. Well, my name's Daniel Shavy. Oh, I... hey. Hi, Dan. You'll... Yes. Okay. Well, you didn't say my last name. Shavy. It's Shavy. I'm located in Greenville, South Carolina. We're in zone 8A. Oh my god. We're warm down here, except every time you come visit, it's it either cold. snowing or you're right behind a cold front. So it's cold today. <laughs> We're inside. But I bring um, the north with me. What can I say? Yes. But I own Petal Pickers Flower Co. And I started the farm in 2017 with 
zero knowledge on how to grow flowers. Zero knowledge about how to be a farmer. Okay. So I was a retail kid. We own businesses in Greenville, South Carolina. We own a garden boutique store and a furniture store. Who's we? Me and my husband, Wes. Wes. Wesley Turner. And um, so, yeah, we've been doing that for 14 years now, running our own businesses here in Greenville. And... Wes grew up kind of out in the country. I grew up in the suburbs. Wes wanted to move to a farm. I was totally down for it. So we bought a farm. And here we are. We have a 14-acre farm. We grow flowers on eight acres. And we're getting close to filling it up. Um, We have perennials, annuals, little bit of woodies. Yep. Um, But we have 10 high tunnels from Farmer's Friend. 10? So, oh my God, <laughs> we're getting there. We don't have the big ones like you, Drew, but we don't need them down here. Yeah, I was gonna say you're so warm here; they do just fine. And so I started off like everybody else, learning how to grow. I took a couple online classes, and that got me started. Yep. I've since um, really tried to do a little bit more research. So I've tried to make friends with knowledgeable knowledgeable people like yourself but also join the ASCFG and um you know really just try to dial in and get a little more specific than growing everything I see in a seed catalog hey we're still working on that but I remember in the beginning it was like one packet of everything oh yeah that was in Johnny's for sure and I was like what the fuck (laughs) but well, well, yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So, um, kind of just like talking about history, you coming from retail perspective, um, and with the garden store, which also had fresh flowers as well, mm-hmm. you kind of had a general idea of what could be used, maybe not what could be grown in volume, but definitely like, you know, crops and things that you have used in the past and since seen used. Yep, I had some knowledge for, just from our business with um, houseplants primarily. Yep. Um, also, you know, we were sourcing stuff from greenhouses down in Florida. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really sell cut flowers until we decided that we were going to start growing flowers oh, on really? our farm. Okay. So that was not part of our business. Interesting. But it was just a natural, yeah. um, a different product that we could bring to our community. So. We had designers on staff that would take orchids and other houseplants, make yep. beautiful arrangements, and a lot of them did weddings on the side, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how I first found out about flower farmers. Okay. Um, one of our designers that worked at our retail store was ordering flowers from a f- local flower farmer, and between me moving to a farm, not knowing what to do with it, right, and just everything that was going on, the designer's info, I got on Instagram and fell down the rabbit hole. So that is how I got into flower farming. Um, No farming experience. My husband, Wes, does have a horticulture degree. And so we felt confident that we could figure this out. But every time I ask him a question about (laughs) growing flowers, the answer is he has no clue. He does not know. Um, But he has led me... Um, down some paths that have been very beneficial. Like when I thought, oh, maybe I should grow roses oh, in God. the humid south Ugh. and order like thousands of roses, he shot that down immediately. <laughs> Never. Because we have Japanese beetles, yeah. we get black spot, and yep. it was anyway. Yep. So there's been a benefit to having a husband with a horticulture degree. 
But I don't want you to like discount yourself either because when you were doing the the garden store full time, I mean, you were also like working with like plants and you know, really you started to like understand, you know, some of the fundamental things that plants need, right? Yes. Um yeah, that's true. And I did a lot of container gardening. I would as a professional, I would go out to businesses around town and high-end um, homes and around our store and plant up containers. It costs sure. a lot of money. Yeah. And so I had to know what I was doing and <laughs> yeah. learn how to do that on a professional level. Yeah. And so that was before we bought the farm. I also think just having the businesses, it taught us a lot about managing employees, about bookkeeping, about marketing, mm-hmm. like all that was already in our pocket. We'd already Bunny figured all that, that out yeah. before we started the farm. I also understood the concept of wholesalers, yep. and I was sourcing shrubs from the West Coast to be yeah. delivered yeah. on the East Coast. So I, I understood that um, that whole concept, and that has really helped me when ordering our flower plugs yeah. and our bulbs, and all that makes sense. For sure. And I think one other interesting thing, too, is like we're kind of in like, I don't want to say the golden age of flower farming, but there's so many resources available to new growers or people wanting to get into the industry, and they're all fantastic and great, and some of them do cost a lot of money. But the one thing that I I would argue with anyone against is that there is no... There's no way to learn, truly learn, other than by doing it, fucking up, and doing it again. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Because... I can tell you to do X, Y, Z four times, and you can listen five of those times, but until you do it, there's there's so many nuances and things that go into, you know, making decisions and, you know, different points to factor in that no one person is going to be able to teach you all that. The only time you're truly going to remember something is when you mess up. Yeah. When you have a failure. When you build your first high tunnel, and you know that... To not let it turn into a jungle, <laughs> to maybe weed it, that's common sense. But guess what? Your first high tunnel is going to grow into a jungle by the end of the summer. Yes, it will. And then you're going to have to figure out how to cut it down and mow it and turn it back into yep. a plantable space. So yep. we've all done that. We make There's a lot of um, lessons with flower farming, and I'm still learning. I, must, I mean, multiple times every season something happens, and... It's okay. You just learn, and you won't do it again. All right, Daniel. We're like 11 minutes into this bitch, and we haven't like started talking about a single thing that's on our list. All right. So. We're trying to make people feel better about themselves, <laughs> I think. This is the self-help flower farmer <laughs> podcast now. Therapy 101. Oh, God. Okay. Let's start. Um, one of the things that whenever you're brought up in conversation amongst other growers one of the things that I hear about the most is the volume that you're pushing and how you've kind of, you know, really pushed yourself and your business and your clientele and your following to where it is now. And I can completely vouch for the fact that that didn't happen overnight and it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, what are some things and some sacrifices and financial decisions that had to be made kind of in order to, to facilitate that level of growth? All right. Well, to start at the beginning, I do feel like I started this farm with the concept and idea that I didn't want to be small scale. Of course, 
I'm a I'm small scale farmer we're in the all, big scheme of things. We're all small scale farmers. But in the flower farming world, you know, we're growing multiple acres of flowers. Yeah. So we're somewhere above that. Yeah. Um, I knew I wanted to be a be able to provide flowers to our local florist and to our retail store. So I started already having an avenue for my flowers, which was great. Um, through our retail store. So, and then. I got involved with the wedding florist community and I saw that our, some of our other flower farmers were already selling to them, but that they still needed more product. And even with me here now growing, they still need more product. So there's plenty of room for growth, but I just wanted to, um, I knew I was capable and able of growing this farm. And so I wanted to be able to provide them a certain amount. For sure. Um, so I wanted to scale up, and that was kind of our idea. I also wanted to scale up really fast, and I have done that. And I will say this last year, I've kind of slammed the brakes and just <laughs> trying to continue the business as it is currently operating because there is a lot of work that even on my farm we need to do to catch up. Yeah. Because to really have everything lined up and operating smoothly, it's almost on a 10-year plan when you're starting a farm from scratch. So we're on year six, and there's just a lot of things that I noticed. Okay, we've we've gotten this far, we're doing great, and now, like... We got to get some... um, Like efficiencies, processes, organization, you know, all of those things that can just like streamline and lean up that farm. I haven't been great at taking notes, Drew. (laughs) I really... And that's something that we decided, okay. Damn it. (laughs) We need to take logs and timelines and we it has to be written down when you're bringing employees into your business. Yes. And... With each new employee, it's like we're just throwing them into the wolves and saying, you're going to learn, and they're going to have to do that anyways, but it helps them so much if they can just see that, oh, this week we need to be seeding this, this, and this. This is what's looking to be on the harvest schedule and et cetera. Yeah, for sure. One thing that was a huge benefit for us on, on our farm was that silly, and it wasn't silly, but the map that I made. Um, yeah, um, you said Canva yeah, is where I, you made it. I designed it on Canva. I need to do that. Because it gives everyone on the team a, a visual of where everything is from like a huge bird's eye view. Um, because our farm, and yours is, is similar too, but it's very much like broken out in somewhat of a grid fashion. Yeah. Um, so you can, and if you've got, if you're set up on like a quadrant, you can, you know, do your quadrants, have like a code. Um, so then when you say to your crew, you know, the zinnias, you know, harvest the, the gold zinnias in block B4. You know, mm. they can, you know, track over to B. It's the second column of the field down to block four. Boom. Easy. You know, any little, like, simple, something that might seem mundane or dumb for new new team members or team members that have been on for a while, all of that has a lot of value. Yep. For sure. Yeah, when you're telling someone, go plant Lysianthus in tunnel number five, row number one, in the, I mean, it gets complicated because in our minds, we know exactly where it needs to go. Because these are our children. <laughs> yes. Like, we know everything about these farms. They cost us a lot of money, too. <laughs> but, 
So, and I've seen it time and time again with employees, yeah. and it's not mapped out the same way in their head. No, not at all. And you also have to like think that you know, most of these people have never stepped foot on like a specialty farm like this, mm-hmm. and then to try and absorb everything that we're telling them on an initial walkthrough or like their work trial period that's just a lot of info Mm -hmm. way too much info for any one person to really grasp yep for sure so we're gonna do that this year i actually have a map that i had an employee make for me okay but then she sent it to me in a jpeg format oh jesus i'm like i don't think that's gonna work i think i need to make a new one yeah can't do much with that anyways all right so Let's talk about some of the issues we've had with hiring and keeping employees. Mm, trauma. Okay. So where do you typically go to to look for employees? <laughs> so why are you asking me these questions? Yeah, I just took over this podcast. All right. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So I just had this conversation with Mandy um, at Blue Ridge Blooms. Love Mandy. Love, hi, Mandy. Shout out, Mandy. She, I'm sure Mandy don't listen to this. She's <laughs> she's off busy growing flowers. She loves you, Drew. She does. Anyway, um, so we were just talking about how within your Instagram following, there are people who will work for you. N- And everyone has a level of value, but it's not always the right kind of value or the right kind of person to fit into a production setting. And that's kind of where both of us have kind of come and gone from. Um, I know that we've had really good success with um, Indeed, indeed Indeed.com. Yep. Um, There's ways to navigate and like fish your way through Indeed where you don't have to pay for the service. Um, So that's been great. Um, another one is just like very general word of mouth. And I hate to say that like social media is like the cure all for everything, because especially when you're new to something and you don't have a huge following, it can seem very daunting, Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, be constantly relying on your social media for your sales and your networking and your employees and all that unnecessary bullshit that does start to trickle in from your social media. Um, but it is a really great way to build your local word of mouth. Um, and I get this question sometimes too, is how do I turn my social media following into um, kind of that community network? And for us, it was really noticeable with, whereas Instagram, um, that's, that's great for building connections that are not super local to you. Whereas Facebook is very local oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I know that if there's uh, an opportunity or a situation where I need locals to show up, I'm really going to push that on, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I would do the same thing if I was like really needing someone to come help or to hire someone. Facebook, if that's where I need to, if that's like my last resort, that's where I'm going to really push that information. Um, whereas Instagram, I would, don't want to dock it because I've had some really great employees off of Instagram. Billy, our farm manager for two years, moved to Illinois from Oklahoma because she saw us, randomly saw us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just kind of figuring out where those demographics and those types of people fall in like your big picture of what you have access to as a business owner. I think, well, for us, we've always, we've always hired from Indeed. Okay. The process from starting a farm as a brand new farmer is that I didn't understand the type of employee that I even needed to work on a farm. Actually, my first two seasons, I was happy if anyone showed up. (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe some of the employees, I was happy if they showed up 75% of the time. Seriously? And so this is our sixth year that we've been selling our flowers. And I will say every year our employees have been very different from the year before. Yeah. There's been some people that hang with us for two to three years, and those are my better employees that could still be here now. Um, for sure. Or are still here now. But I will say the my first employees would not be my employees today. And so yes. as our business has evolved, that's been a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do have one employee that's been here from the beginning. And okay. he's just a cool guy, so he fits in. It still yeah. works out. Yeah. Um, but anyway, our workload is just tripled, and you know, it's just and it. Like I said, we were hiring off in Indeed, yep. And I've learned now what to look for in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've hired people that were looking for an afternoon job at a high school. Yeah, that did not work for our schedule. Mm-hmm. I have had housewives who were looking um, for positions and. I had them cut flowers and they were happy out here. But what I always ran into is that their children were their number one priority yes. over the business. And so there were a lot of call outs with that demographic. Yep. And because we've scaled up, one of my problems, since this is our topic we're talking about, yeah. has been finding people that can um, help fulfill the needs of the farm. And we're not just a little tiny hippie flower farm anymore like we have deadlines to meet we have a production schedule and our customers our florists expect the most from us yes so we need people here on schedule here on time and no call outs and right. so anyways another are you are you done? yeah i'm done are you done? okay <laughs> one interesting thing that um bob mandy's husband and i were just talking about last night or two nights ago was um one thing that I think has been kind of important for me to like think about and like share with our employees and especially like the newer newer hires is that you might be being paid eighteen twenty dollars an hour and that's great that we're as a farm able to pay you that but your productivity needs to be triple that mm-hmm. you know I, Clara Joyce is not going to be in business if you're only producing enough to pay your salary. And, you know, if you're harvesting, it's very easy to break out because you take your wholesale value of what you're selling your product for, multiply that or divide that out from $60 an hour. And that's the level of productivity that they need to be fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, you know, it's really easy to kind of another way to like scale it up is if you want your employees to, you know, be fulfilled and, you know, be able to make good money and the farm to sustain itself and you be able to invest in your future, break that out by $100,000 of gross product or gross sales per employee. So each employee, full-time employee that you have working for you um, or for us, I want to be able to, I need them to produce $100,000 um, because 30 of that is going to go towards their, their wages and taxes and IRA contributions and, and PTO and all of that stuff. And then thirty another 30000 is going to go towards hard costs of the farm. So plants, uh, tubers, seeds, plugs, fertilizers, all of those, you know, cost of 
doing business. Mm-hmm. And then the other 30 is, or whatever's left over at that point, because not everything works out to be perfect, um, is basically what we can invest into the farm for the future. So expansion, new land, uh, new perennials, new shrubs. All new positions. New positions, yes. For uh, them. For them and for people to, to join the team to make it an even more streamlined and, and smooth you know, mm-hmm. machine, basically. That's been our part of our evolution too. So the first couple years, I just needed people to help. Yeah. I'm like, help me. I'm drowning over here. You come here and do this. Yep. And then now we've, you know, um, have employees who are trained with specific jobs and they have certain titles. I have some employees that never walk out into the field. They're right. doing all admin and inside the workshop with processing flowers. Someone made their sole job is just putting orders together for our florists. And then there's a harvest crew. Now there's a planting crew. Yeah. But at the beginning, we all did everything. And a lot of times in the beginning, you either didn't know what you needed or you didn't have enough money to get what you needed. Yeah, a lot of mine was I didn't know. (laughs) There was a lot of times I would be asked questions by employees. I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) I don't know. Figure it out. Make a decision. Do something and let me know how it goes. (laughs) So anyways, that's one point that I I just wanted to make is that the crew that we have now was not the crew we had two years ago. And it's a continuous process and evolution is I've. I've also had to learn to become a better manager of Absolutely. people. And I've had employees before, but honestly, the farm is just so different than a business that opens and closes yeah. with non-perishable product. Right. Our farm, everything can die. So it's like 24-7. And it's the fact that you and I both live on our farms. Yes. So it is a constant attention whore. Yes. Like, <laughs> you are never able to fully turn it off. It's true. Why have we done this to ourselves? I don't know. Can we retire? Can we start something else? (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's a beautiful life. I love it. All right. Let's talk about something else. So money. Money, money, money. Money. Um, We were fortunate when starting our farm, and we were able to invest a little bit of money into it. So we started with buying, well, we financed a tractor. Yep. We had purchased the land, so we owned it. That's part of our house mortgage. Yep. It had a workshop. We had to spend a lot of money repairing the workshop. So it needed a new roof, all kinds of stuff. When starting a farm, the expenses are endless, and you just have to pick and choose what is the highest priority to spend money on. Yeah. Did I order a ton of dahlia tubers or ranunculus corms or whatever you're thinking i did you are wrong drew i started with 300 dahlia tubers my first year where you should probably start with less than 100 your first year but leave it to the diva to take off more than he should choose well that's true i we wanted to get going places really quick so um i did i started in my mind small i had no high tunnels the first couple years yep um, it was all field-grown stuff, and it was a lot of soil blocking and seeds. And seeds are cheap, mm-hmm. unless you get into the fancy varieties. But we probably don't do that the first year. No, no. don't do that the first year. Buy the cheap shit. Actually, I killed all my ranunculus corms. Actually, that's my second year I did ranunculus, and I killed them all for two years. So do not start with that stuff. Well, you have to learn. Or but start small. Start small. Small quantities. Yes. So I probably ordered a thousand ranunculus my first year, and some of those may have been 
two dollars and fifty cents. Oh apiece. my god! And I killed them all, so don't start with those. I'm telling you from experience, but you're gonna do it anyways, and you're gonna learn the hard way yep. to everyone listening out there. <laughs> but just don't start with the cheap ones. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. Um, some like money things that we've kind of had to navigate, which is a little bit different. I definitely have a different story. Where I farm is where I grew up at. Um, so my field was just a cornfield that my parents rented out to an area corn producer. Um, and then started, I started growing vegetables as a 4-H project. And then that, whatever money I was making with veggies and the chicken eggs, and then it continued to grow into a produce farm, all of that was squirreled away or it was invested into the operation. I didn't really know what my long-term goal was at that point because I was like, still barely in high school um and i just knew that it kind of like felt right and that i knew that i was not going to be able to work for somebody else Mm -hmm. so that was kind of like a big big like motivator for me to just like keep investing in the business that's inspirational drew well i you know it's very relatable too because everyone is 14 and and knows what they want to do with their life exactly you could i'm sure you can relate to that right now but anyway sob story bullshit aside not everyone has the ability to invest in a business for 10 years and in infrastructure for 10 years and in the land for 10 years. Um, so when when you're not in that situation, you do have to make uncomfortable decisions. Like, you know, is, is taking out this loan really what I need to do? Okay, if not, is there any way that we can get like grant or funding assistance for this? In Illinois, grant and funding, you know, the concept of is a very slow and painful process just because there's so many delayed moving components in our lovely state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, is another factor you have to take into account. You know, can I wait three years for this high tunnel? My situation is usually no. I needed it yesterday. So yeah. then you, you're presented with, okay, am I cashing off this $20,000 check that I've been sitting on? Um, or am I, you know, growing and selling Dahlia tubers for the next year and putting all of that money aside so that I can do these things that I really want to do? Yeah. So it comes down to that, like decision making and making sacrifices where you can, um, if that's where you're going. So for us, I broke the rule, and the first few years were funded off of credit cards. Daniel, for all of our supplies. Daniel. That we needed on the farm. And we weren't making a profit until probably year four. And that included like payroll and everything that goes into it. Because I was buying everything that I thought I needed. Could we have made a profit earlier? Yes. Did I also want to expand the farm as fast as I possibly could? Yes. And so that was my decision that I made. And I have used credit cards as a big part of my business to push the production levels as fast as we could. We finally, when we started making a profit with our business, were able to go to a local bank and we were able to secure loans with lower interest rates. For sure. And so that has been very beneficial now for our cash flow as certain points of year, we don't have the, um, highest amounts of income like during winter and we still are retaining our employees and so that's been something that's really helped us out um also saving money like when you have a big sale or a big part of your season don't 
Because your bank account goes up does not mean you should be spending that. You need to hold on to it. Yes, and we all need reminders of that, yes. myself included, for <laughs> sure. Because um, my mom, who is, I'm very, very fortunate to have helped me with like bookkeeping and financials and all that stuff. My mom listens to the podcast, by the way. So oh, thanks. hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Um, she sounds amazing. She's a delight. <laughs> I am very, very fortunate. Um, she will remind me right around like Dahlia season when all these florist orders are coming in and when we do fall launch in October, like don't spend this money. Mm-hmm. Like you have to put that nest egg away because that's what's paying your employees over the winter. You know, we've got like three, four people that are on payroll year round and we have to be able to write those checks every other week for sure. So you have to either you as the, the, the grower and the business operator, manager, whatever you want to call yourself, you have to have that level of um, what's the right word here? Um, level of I can't think of it. I know what I, I know what I want to say, but I can't right now. Um, you have to be disciplined. You have to have that level of discipline. And if you don't, bring someone onto your team who does, mm-hmm. who might not be so emotionally invested, and who can help you make these business decisions, and kind of make sure that you don't jump off the boat. Mm-hmm. So very important. Yes, for sure. Okay. Anything else for the first point, or are we moving on to point two? Let's move on. We've been going on for over thirty minutes. I know. So I feel I, like this is going to be a two-hour podcast. Uh, if we get over one hour, we're going to cut this bitch off and we'll okay. do another one. So, okay. <laughs> we'll just start over. We'll just start over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, between me and Drew, Growers Interview with Daniel, version two. Oh, we could do a multi-week series. Oh God. All based off of one conversation. <laughs> I got you covered for six months. <laughs> okay. Uh, point number two. Um, shipping. Okay, so it's pretty interesting. Drew and I are some of the few flower, small, small cut flower growers that are shipping their product nationwide, as in we are shipping freshly cut flowers out of our fields or into people's homes, into businesses. But we both have completely different models for shipping. So... For us, we didn't really have shipping on our minds for the farm until the pandemic hit, and that was in March here in South Carolina. I had three high tunnels full of ranunculus, butterfly ranunculus, anemones, poppies. Um, Basically $45,000 worth of product just chilling out. Yes, and I will say with us um, growing as fast as we can, that was the year that we took a leap on the ranunculus. So I invested $25,000 worth of corms going from (laughs) zero, because I'd killed them all the year before, into this lineup for spring because I could not help myself. But let me tell you, Drew, it's all worked out (laughs) in some way or another. That has got me hooked on ranunculus and it led us down this path for shipping in the weirdest most stressful way ever. I was going to say, not without like a lot of sacrifice and yes, I don't. I would have never done this if it weren't for the pandemic and we had coolers full of product. And so, even though we have our own retail store to move some of it's our product, not enough. It was shut down too. Oh yeah, we had no part. avenues, just like everybody else. So we decided to start shipping. 
Um, the biggest motivator for us to do that is because we had focused our marketing efforts on Instagram, which, yeah. as you noted before, is more of a national audience. Yep. Um, we do also, I will point out, have a strong following locally because of our retail stores being in business for 14 years. Yeah, people know who you are. They know who we are. And so our local customers supported us. They, But now that we had this new option with shipping... They were sent. Our local customers were also having us send flowers to their friends across the country, their family, because nobody could see anybody, and right. it was just this whole thing. So we all know about the pandemic. I hate listening to podcasts that keep talking about that. So <laughs> why do we still choose shipping now that stuff has resumed to a more normal level? And for us, it just ended up being a great outlet because of our marketing through Instagram. Mm -hmm. So we have an audience nationwide and they follow us. Of a combined 160,000 followers between the two of you? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I think we have, the farm has a little less. We're a little bit busier being on the farm. Um, but my husband actually has an amazing Instagram account at Farm Shenanigans. And he's just showing you the um, day in the life of a entrepreneur, retail store owner, and someone who lives on the farm and has all kinds of miniature animals. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we got to feed the miniature donkeys. The pig are they pygmy goats? Um, the little the little goats. Oh gosh, I don't even know. That is totally his thing. Oh, I Wes, do know, but I can't you. think of it. <laughs> They're miniature goats. If you named off like the most common ones, I could pick it out. Okay. Oh. Um, we also have emus. Two emus. Chickens, turkeys. I think cows are probably next. No. I don't know if we have enough land or not. Oh, my God. Anyways, if you want to see all that stuff, check out at Farm Shenanigans on Instagram. Go follow Wes. Shout out hubby. Shout out to Love you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, you're still shipping retail. We are. So and that has become um, something that we've decided to focus on. Yep. And there are some struggles that come along with retail. Yes. So customer service is probably the number one thing. And when you're shipping to an end consumer retail level, each one of your single sales um, has a different end user. So that's a communication between the business and the end user, but multiple times over. Yeah. Whereas if you were working wholesale or only had a, handful of customers it's so much less communication absolutely so it's a lot of fires it's a lot um of chances every time we ship a product out there's a chance it may not make it to where it's supposed to go and when you say fires you're talking about like people that are like irate at <laughs> you be for something that you and i would consider to be a very small thing Yes. I'm like, look, I made, I grew your flowers. It was hard for me to do, okay? We boxed them up and packaged them beautifully, and they left our our farm on time yep. on the back of a truck. Yep. And then it doesn't make it to someone, and it's their birthday, yep. and or it's their daughter's or some family member's birthday, and I have just ruined everything, yep. and the sky is falling, yep. and it's all my fault. Yep. I've had those conversations on the phone. I have gotten a lot better with handling those conversations. <laughs> I've gotten tougher skin. I've become more professional. Oh, God. Um, but I think you know what I mean. Absolutely. Some of those people, some of, 
who really do truly have really good intentions. Yes. Like, coming to the situation, you know, they've made the conscious choice to support a small local farm. They've made the conscious choice to use domestic product. You know, they're doing the right things, but there is that emotional tie to the money that they've spent. Yes. Because they've worked hard for that money. And then they've given that or spent that with our companies or our farms. And in that translation or in that transaction, sometimes unrealistic expectations are made. Exactly. And it can be very uncomfortable to navigate. So then it becomes another part of our job yeah. to help fix that situation and let our customer knows that they are valued and we are doing everything we can. Yeah. And so what that ends up for us, a lot of times us in a form of an apology, even though it was out of our control. Definitely not our fault. A refund. Yep. Because that's what they're expecting from us. Although the issue is really our delivery method is the person who has caused the issue and should be refunding us. So, okay, for us, we have decided to go retail with a package, an offering from our flower farm, a fresh cut flower box that is valued less than $100. The reason we have gone that avenue is because we work primarily with FedEx. FedEx will guarantee that the products delivered on time outside of weather events or stuff that's out of their control and they will reimburse us if that box does not arrive on time. And the reimbursement is for the value of the product and the exact cost of shipping. If it is less than $100. There you go. So for us, sometimes it costs us up to Fifty dollars yep. that we pay FedEx yep. to ship a single box of flowers to a customer and who knows where, never heard of it before. Yeah, Montana. Yeah. Oh my God, Montana, <laughs> so expensive to ship to. Oh, out west for us because we're East Coast. Yeah. But um, and any place that's rural. Yes. So, anyways, we figured that out across the map, but um. Yeah, so we get reimbursed for us, but you are focused on a different... Different clientele, different process. Even though you do ship We ship a very small amount retail still. Um, Same story, you know, when COVID started, it was an oh shit moment. Um, We had actually planned to start shipping in 2019, so we already had all of the processes in line. We had the memberships, we had everything in place. I just didn't do it because I was thought I was overwhelmed at the time, but looking back, you have no fucking clue. Um, <laughs> anyways, so same story. However, as kind of our following has, has shifted, uh, we're now so more so oriented towards wholesale, um, selling direct to florists, um, which are great and wonderful. I came to the floriculture industry or flower farming from working in a flower shop. So... Like definitely understood, you know, how package or how product is packaged, how, you know, you're expected to or what you what you should expect um, from delivered product, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But with that, all of our orders are over one hundred dollars. So you basically are removing um, somewhat of that insurance that you have built into the way that you've set up your your retail process. Um, I know from our perspective or what happens when, you know, boxes are delayed or things just disappear, um, or damaged. Um, we just get in a replacement, send out immediately. 
And there are times when I don't even have the bandwidth to submit the claim on FedEx. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, F it, keep moving. It's a small window, and sometimes you're just too busy and whatever, like, keep moving. Yep, yep, for sure. (laughs) So what do you do if a huge box of flowers that's going for a wedding that's supposed to be there on Thursday, that you cut the flowers on Monday... You processed them on Tuesday, and you got them in a box and out the door on Wednesday. Delivered overnight to the customer on Thursday. Their wedding is Saturday. What happens if the box falls off the plane while it's going over Kansas and lands (laughs) in a cow field or whatever Kansas people fought? (laughs) So we've learned to move the timeline up. Okay. Um, very similar to you. You know, you previously when we were talking said that you would ship on Thursday. Yes, we were risky. So when we the first year we were shipping product, we were shipping Thursday overnight. So it would be delivered to the customer on Friday because we thought they want those flowers to enjoy for the weekend. And some people, you know, maybe at home a little bit more on Fridays to receive their packages anyways. Yeah we quickly realized that we had to back that up a day mm-hmm. to give us a little bit of cushion. To give FedEx a little bit of cushion. Exactly. Not us. We had our stuff together. Right. To give FedEx a little extra cushion, an extra day for delivery. Yep. So now we ship everything out on Wednesday. So for us, all of our wholesale product goes out on Mondays and Tuesdays. Oh my gosh. We push it forward. Where Are y'all working on the weekend or you're harvesting at the end of the week? So we harvest stuff that can be held in a cooler on Friday. Yes. And then we cut perishables like dahlias on Saturday. Okay. Um, and then Sunday is off unless somebody wants to work. Yeah. Um, and then we, we start shipping on Monday. See, we're cutting everything on Mondays and we want everything out the door for our shipping boxes on Wednesday. And then... Everything else that we've been cutting as well for our wholesale customers goes out the door on Thursday or Friday. Right. So what for delivered? For local delivery. Right. We do not ship wholesale, period. Right. Um, So for us, since we're shipping on Mondays and Tuesdays for wholesale, it's being delivered on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So then if something that were shipped on Monday doesn't make it by Tuesday and it arrives on Wednesday in poor product, I can still get another box out on Wednesday for Thursday delivery. Okay. Um, because the other thing with us too is since we are growing really good volume, we have a lot of product to work with usually for most things. Um, I have access and we as a farm have access to anything that a client could need usually, like 85% of the time. Um, so let's say like a box of cafes is lost, which happens and it's ha- it has happened. I can just say, hey, yo, Julio, I need 100 stems cut it immediately. This is a a DOA or dead on arrival situation and I need it now. So he'll zip down to the field, cut it, we'll throw water bags on it and then print that label. That label has to be printed before one o'clock our time in order to to meet the cutoff. Um, And then FedEx shows up and out the door she goes. So shipping shipping definitely is not a sunshine and rainbow situation. Um, it It is a great way to move product if you've built the following for it Mm -hmm. it is a great way to kind of get your name out there um but it is a huge pain in the ass (laughs) it can be it can be a huge pain in the ass um and it's very expensive too you know we're shipping all of our product for wholesale in 
large heavy duty double wall corrugated cardboard boxes that are like six dollars a piece we're putting beautiful postcards and cute stickers all over the boxes <laughs> i'm glad you are <laughs> you have these little sayings now that you're adding oh yeah to your boxes yes but i print those on the dymo oh those yeah everyone loves those though um but what oh i wanted to talk about the double wall boxes so a couple years ago um we were shipping everything for wholesale in a single wall um, corrugated cardboard box. Mm, so you learned that that can get crushed. That will get crushed. <laughs> and then even when you do pay the extra money for the double wall, FedEx will still drive over them when you ship to Chicago, oh. which is so crazy. Yeah, you told me that one time. Because we had someone... I, it was it was very hardy product. It was like status and some other like random stuff that they were going to use to dry. But like it showed up at their house. FedEx backed over it. And then still left. And they sent me a picture and like you could see where like the tire like cut the box in half from the weight. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God. So you when you do start to do this, you just need to account for and understand that things are going to happen to your packages. Yes. And that's just the way it is. You know, we could sell, I don't know if we could be this um, at this scale and sell 100% of our stuff locally. Right. Maybe if we were more focused on it. Um, so shipping for us has allowed us to sell all of our flowers. Right. We literally sell, like cut everything that we're growing and it pretty much goes somewhere. Yeah. To our, do we still throw a little bit away if we missed a crop? Like if too many sunflowers bloomed one week or whatever, sure. But outside, we're, it's allowed us to pretty much sell everything. Yep. Um, so that's been the benefit. The um, downside of it is that when that truck leaves your farm, you have no control. And that is thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. That for us, the problem's been if that whole truck, if something happens to all of it, we don't have enough flowers to replace it all. Yeah. So that's something that um, we haven't run into yet. But I would say that's just a risk that we've taken yeah. because it could totally happen. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. We had... Real quick, we do need to move on to the next topic. Yes, we do. Okay, so for Easter 2021, we had a disaster with yes, FedEx. We did. So we had 387 boxes oh my God. that we're shipping, and I can't remember now. Oh my gosh, did we ship them on Wednesday or Thursday? We shipped half on Wednesday and half on Thursday. And, there, and that was just a volume-wise. It was so much for us to process between making the bouquets and everything. Mm -hmm. The half that got shipped out on Thursday did not make it in time for Easter. And the main reason was because the FedEx hub in Indianapolis decided to reset their computer algorithm or whatever that night. And it, they had a glitch. It stopped the product all moving, and it just sat in Indianapolis all weekend so our product um didn't make it in time for easter that was a huge ordeal that we had to deal with and i'll say the one problem that we have shipping retail is that fedex doesn't stop shipping if it gets held up somewhere they still send the product to the customer so even if we've refunded said we're sorry and reshipped fresh new flowers our old dead flowers still get delivered to our customer. 
And that's something that we don't really like to have happen. Right. But it's also something that's like way beyond your control. Totally beyond. Most people understand. Yes. And wasn't it, was it this year or last year where like there was a box in circulation for like four weeks and it was like finally delivered? I think you sent me a picture of it. You texted me. You were like, this is what Scabiosa looks like after it's been in in a box for four weeks. Or it was so, something. Thank goodness it was um, an influencer that we work with. Oh, God. So it wasn't a customer who had paid for it. <laughs> but the box just got lost in Texas. Uh, and it got shipped back to us four weeks later. Oh, it was shipped to you? Back it to got, you? Yeah, it got returned to us. Oh, my God. And so that was... Anyways, it was gross. Moving on. <laughs> what what happens in lost flower boxes is not good. <laughs> Just burn it when it arrives. Just don't even open it if it's returned. Okay. Now, last thing we're going to talk about, which does really lend a hand into what we just discussed as far as avenues of sale and where our product is moving. Um, but that is kind of how we make decisions about what to grow. Yes. Because for you, selling retail and shipping retail – you want to grow things that can handle being in a box and can handle and still perform once they're received. Because let's face it, not everyone that receives a retail box is super proficient on how to handle process primp and prim flowers once they've been delivered. Um, yes. From what we've learned, most of our flowers arrive to customers that has instructions in there that they can follow. And basically, I just assume that our flowers get shoved into a vase until they die. Yeah. And that's it. There is no care that I can assume people are doing for the flowers. So we have to start with, number one, sending them the freshest flowers possible to last the longest. But we've also, um, when we first started shipping, we didn't know exactly which flowers would hold up through shipping and hold up the longest in the customer's vase. So we... Did stuff. We were shipping Scabiosa. We were shipping Zinnias, um, Bachelor Buttons, Lysianthus. Some things ship excellent. Right. Some things I will never worry about <laughs> putting in a box, like tulips. Totally fine. I can ship them to the frozen tundra, yep. and they look amazing yep. when the customer gets them and puts them inside their home. So we've had to cut things out of our production. Um, Scabiosa actually ships well if it's treated properly before shipping. It's just not something that we do on our farm. And we had an issue with humidity when we were shipping it and it was causing them to mold. Oh, really? It could. Yeah. I don't know. But we cut that out. Yeah. But I know it can be shipped. So I was going to say, it gets shipped. Certain things. That's so bizarre. But But that's something that didn't work for us, and so we just made the decision to cut it out. And you also have to take into account, too, that, like, scabiosa, some of, like, the seed-grown and even the tissue-grown stuff can be a pain in the ass to grow and harvest. Yes. It's just so much product. It's so – it's very thin. So that that takes time. Yeah. Which increases the value of the product, but it's not necessarily, like, a huge showy focal piece – flower so it is a balance a lot of things i think we started shipping our first mixed bouquets and they had a little bit of everything in them we wanted to show everybody what we were growing to anything that was blooming would fit in those bouquets yeah and what we have found is that's not what we should be focused on we should have a smaller selection of beautiful flowers and for us it's We've decided to focus on the focal flowers. Yeah. So which flowers have the biggest bang for their buck? Um, we still do a mixture of different things to make a bouquet. Right. But it's 
a less quantity of different flowers. So we um, have found that tulips ship well, ranunculus. Yep. Um, anemones can be shipped. It's weird. Certain things you find, like, they aren't going to be the most open, huge blooms, um, beautiful anemones, if you're shipping them in a box. Right. And they will also bend and curve yes. in the box as well. So right. anemones for us, yeah. we've scaled back our production on anemones. Yeah. Um, Lysianthus is something that ships great. Yeah, for sure. And we've decided to really focus in on that. Um, Things like Lizzie, uh, peonies. I know your peonies usually hit a brown before Mother's Day. Yeah. So our farm's actually located in this sweet spot of the country where we can grow peonies. We're not too warm. And we can grow um, most of them, the early and mids. Mm -hmm. And they all bloom before or right at Mother's Day. That's like perfect. It's amazing. So I can sell my entire peony crop as much as I can harvest on our biggest holiday of the entire year, Mother's Day. Peonies also ship really well. Yeah. And so that has been a big part and has become a main focus of our business. Yeah. And, you know, we used to grow everything and now we're trying to hone in on the crops that make us the most money. Look at you go. I'm learning. <laughs> Me and Drew just laugh. We think very differently from each other, but I do understand these concepts. It just takes me a couple seasons to really get them <laughs> under my belt. Just um, to be honest about that. So, But we are focusing. And so we've cut out a ton of crops. And our main focus has become some of these bulb crops that yeah. ship well. Um, funny enough, though, Dahlias have been a struggle for us. They do not ship well, but certain varieties of them do ship pretty well. And that's what we've had to learn. Um, and we've started focusing on that. And some of them are not even the style or type of ball. Well, okay, ball dahlias ship the best. Pom-poms ship even better. Yeah. But a lot of times it's not even that generic it's more like a specific variety or strain yeah of dahlia and so what we're having to do is collect all these different ball dahlias or grow our own from seed and figure out what does best in our climate and what holds up the best shipping in a box right For so sure. it's just funny that we focused a large part of our business on dahlias like you have but we're selling a lot local, but we're also trying to figure out how to ship them. Right. You've had to kind of navigate that within itself. Yeah. You know? Whereas like for us, selling wholesale and delivering to Chicago twice a week and delivering to Madison and, you know, shipping within the Midwest region, we can kind of get by with, you know, not having to be so, so uh, like precise on, you know, this is the white variety, white ball variety that we're growing, you know, for shipping Whereas with us, you know, we know our main white is Blizzard. It probably doesn't ship ship the best, but um, for what we're doing, it's great. Yep. Totally great. Yeah, that's something I want to point out too. Like, I have over a hundred different varieties of dahlias. And so crazy. Drew is shaking his head like you were insane. What I have realized, just to, on top of what you just said, to agree with you, is that the, our florist customers do not know these by name. Right. They do not care. They want a white ball dahlia. We want an orange ball dahlia. Peach. 
And oh god, peach. so well, peach is hard <laughs> because that can be like ten different colors. And uh, if someone tells me apricot, like I just have an out of body experience for a minute, <laughs> and I'm like, I need you to send me a picture. Yep. Um, but yeah, they don't care about the variety. The only one that they know is Cafe Ole. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. So yeah, and since we at the farm have kind of built everything to you know be prioritized around wholesale i kind of approach it a little bit differently i want to make sure that i have enough of a certain dahlia variety where a florist on our wholesale website can see blizzard and they know that they can order 100 bunches of blizzard or they can order you know 50 bunches of miss amara or they can order 20 bunches of peaches and cream or whatever the case is because i i know that like if i was a florist and I really wanted peaches and cream, but I was, you know, delivered Linda's baby or some other bullshit like that might not always work out. You would be pissed. I would. Yeah. I don't do that to our customers because the couple times I have, they were pissed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's definitely tricky to navigate because you know that not every dahlia plant that you have is in full flush right at the beginning of that cutting season. Yep. So there are a few weeks where it's kind of a little bit of a limbo to, you know, even think about entertaining or offering as an opportunity where you can buy specific to the variety for florists. So For us, a focus is scaling up on single varieties, our tried and true, our whites, our peaches, Pick the best variety out of that and yep. grow a lot more of it. Yep. Um, exactly what you're saying. So we're we're getting there. For me, I didn't see that as early on in my growing. I thought it was Pokemon, got to collect them all. <laughs> and now as I keep getting requests and more, you know, the longer you're in business, the yeah. bigger clientele you're going to develop. Yep. And so I not only have the people I sold to last year, but I have a whole new um, group of florists that are reaching out every single year. And it's gotten to the point where we're having to change our production as we scale up. To facilitate the clientele. Their needs. Yep, for sure. For so, sure, for sure. You know, we sell primarily our dahlias in the fall to wedding yeah. event florists. And I think the people that I was networked or doing business with in the beginning were smaller. Mm -hmm. And now as the word about our flower farm has kind of spread, some of the bigger production yeah. um, florists have started to reach out. And, you know, I remember the first time I got a flower order just for dahlias for a thousand dollars. And then I remember when it was $2,000 from one person. Yeah. And, you know, we were able to meet those. I think for me, it just happened like the right week. Okay. And it was amazing. It worked out. Um, but now we're getting those people wanting to order from us every week. And I can't you fill can't. their orders. Not the big ones. Damn. I know. Or then I have to tell all of my other customers, sorry, we're closed out for the week because one person bought them all. Yeah. So we're... You know, that's part of scaling up and just learning, okay, we need to streamline yeah. this and I can have all my other varieties, maybe if I can find a new place to plant them. Right. And that's for Dahlia tuber production. Yep. So. So many facets, so many things. <sighs> Let's have another podcast. Let's just record another one after this right now. Let's do it. What do you want to talk about? Okay. I think we could talk about like <laughs> Keep how going. our customer base is very mixed and how that pulls us in different directions. 
So as customer, in selling retail and wholesale. Customer base needs. Should we call the point that? Hey, that would be good. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> Daniel, it's been lovely chatting with you. Thanks, Drew. It's so good to see you. Thanks you for well. coming by to our humble abode. Um, I wish it was warmer, warmer here because... It's always cold when I come. It's in South Carolina, but like I guess we still get cold, so... Yeah, when the northerner visits, it gets cold. Yes. So I bring it with me. Okay, well, I guess we're recording another episode, um, so you'll hear more from Daniel in just a minute. We're going to talk about uh, customer-based needs, how we facilitate those... Um, and we'll, we'll see where that goes. So, uh, you'll have to check back next week for that episode and, uh, we'll go from there. Thanks for being here. Bye. Bye.